a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is Live Mike. We're talking about the president's proposed budget. Uh, through that commercial break, I've been leafing through this 138-page document, been reading through some of the key priorities of the Trump administration as the House begins uh, the budget formulation process. And uh, I got word last night from the office of Congressman Chris Stewart that the congressman has uh, pretty strong feelings about this budget as it's been proposed, and he joins us on the line now. Congressman Stewart, sir, how are you? I'm well, Lee. Thank you. Let me ask you straight up. Uh, as this budget was released and we've had opportunity to comb through it, uh, what jumps out at you? Well, I think there's some good news and bad news. I mean, one is everyone knows that the president's budget is just an outline. It's a framework of his priorities. And, of course, Congress takes it and generally laughs and scoffs a little bit, and they start working on their priorities. <laughs> sure. And it's going to be true of this case as well. But it shows us a couple things. One, one is the president is serious, and thank heaven that he is. Uh, and frankly, we got to get way more serious about do we care about our spending and our debt? Does it matter that we have a trillion-dollar deficit this year alone? And I think it matters enormously. And I'm frustrated that Republicans haven't been as serious about that as we've needed to be. And frankly, this president hasn't been as serious as he needed to be. And I'm thankful that he's willing to say, okay, we have to, in a serious way, to make some of the difficult decisions that are going to address this generational issue of are we going to leave our kids this kind of debt. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. Now, there's a couple things on there as far as his priorities in military spending and in, in, in rebuilding the nuclear force, a couple others. Um, there are some things that, you know, I think we're going to have to take a second look at and maybe try to persuade the White House that we hope there's a better priority or, or a better way to do it. But all in all, I think it's a, I think it's a good starting place. How specifically can you talk to me about those measures? What, what rubbed you the wrong way? What do you think uh, deserve a second look? Well, I mean, the, 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 let me tell you the good news and bad news and some very sensitive subjects. And so, some of us remember, you know, Paul Ryan, the speaker, who is one of the most decent people in, in you know, to serve in Congress. And, and during the election, previous elections, he, there was this famous cartoon of him depicted, you know, pushing a, a grandmother in a wheelchair off the cliff. Mm. And that's just the political rhetoric that we expect on this. We know that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are going to come out today, and if they haven't already, they will. They're going to come out and say, once again, the Republicans hate old people, they hate the elderly, they hate children, uh, and they're going to take away your Medicare and Medicaid from the poor people. And it's just not true, and it's never been true. Talk to us, uh, I mean, talk to us about it, those entitlements, I'm sorry. To, to t tell me more about those those entitlements because those are some of the criticism, and I, I can tell you, Pelosi and Schumer have already uh, hopped up on the, the soapbox to shout these uh, condemnations of this budget proposal. What can folks who depend on those entitlements uh, plan for the future? Well, one of them is just very, very clearly, and I mean, I, I it, this is just absolutely true. It protects Social Security and Medicare. It protects the Medicare trust fund. It extends it by ten years. 
This budget extends the Medicare trust fund by 10 years over the existing budget. It increases Medicare by 6%. It increases Medicaid spending by 3%. But let me give you an example of where people are going to, are going to criticize it. Uh, one simple example, there's, there's a thing called site neutrality, which is, for example, if you get a CAT scan, it may cost you $1,000 at a hospital. You may be able to do that for $200 at a clinic. And this allows the flexibility for reimbursement for Medicare to go to the clinic for $200 rather than $1,000 for the hospital. You get the same care, the patient is getting taken care of, but the government saves a meaningful piece of money. That's the kind of savings that are built into this. But there, again, if you cut a penny from anything, even if it's protecting the patient but just making it more efficient, you'll be criticized for doing that. I do think, and Lee, you asked me earlier about, well, are there some things that that I disagree with or, you know, that I think we're going to have to work with the White House. One of them is uh, the presumptions of, uh, of the rate of inflation and, and interest rates and the, and the economic growth. I think those are probably over-optimistic. And, uh, and I'd rather have a, a realistic and, and, and something that reflects what we actually think is going to happen so that we have numbers that are meaningful rather than, you know, the, the typical or the thing we've accepted many times, and that is a very rosy scenario, that it just isn't, isn't realistic. Sure. In the wake of the impeachment proceedings, in the wake of the, the very, very heated back and forth between uh, the White House and House leadership and the Senate minority folks, uh, is it possible for is it possible for compromise to come and for sufficient votes to be gained uh, on this? It is. Speaker Pelosi has already come out and called this proposal a heartless budget. Uh, Will she put together something or will something come together under her uh, leadership in the House that's acceptable to uh, the the majority in the Senate and ultimately the president? I've kind of got this vibe over the last little while that uh, Speaker Pelosi doesn't really like the president. Have you picked up on that anywhere? (laughs) I've been been keeping an eye out for it. It's tough to catch, but if you look for Uh, it, you can find it. So I'm going to go with that for just a little bit and say, yeah, it's not surprising to me that she called it heartless. And that's what we expect. And we knew that. I mean, like I said, if you don't fund everything to trillions and quadrillions of dollars, then you're heartless. Uh, But to your question, I think there's there's one reality, and that is the good news is we had a two-year budget agreement last year. And that budget agreement, those top-line numbers are in place now, mm-hmm. and it's obnoxiously high, but they are numbers that, that, that uh, have been agreed to. And by the way, I voted against them because it, it was just it ignored the debt and the, and the deficit spending. But, uh, but it is in place, and so I don't think we're going to have a big fight over, over budget and spending this year because we've already had an agreement, and I don't think either side has an appetite for, you know, the drama of a government shutdown when we've got an election coming up. Uh, and it'll be unnecessary because, once again, we've already got a, got, a, got a budget that we've agreed to. So I think we'll go through the appropriations process, and we'll probably have a continuing resolution in September, pushes it past the election, and then we'll probably have our final numbers in December. Yeah. Uh, how's everyone's attitudes on defense spending right now? Are they where they need to be to keep us safe? Well, yeah, they are, and, and a lot of that is because you know those of us who are leaders on the defense on the on the defense side or in intelligence, it's a com- pretty compelling case when you tell people you know the world is is dangerous and chaotic right now, and we have we have enormous generational challenges, China and Russia and and a number of others. I mean, re- remember what happened just a month ago with. Uh, with you know the activity and military activity and this brilliant intelligence operation that took out General Soleimani, so uh, I think that uh, there's a consensus even among a lot of my Democratic colleagues 
that uh, that a defense budget was was really you know didn't give the priority under the Obama administration. It's something we got to address now. And and Hill Air Force Base is is a great example of that. And the benefit that comes from the local community of having this incredible national resource there of those three wings of or three squadrons of F-35s out there on the ramp at Hill. Outstanding. Uh, Congressman Stewart, sir, I'm grateful to you for your time, grateful to you for your insight and sharing with uh, me and this audience uh, your views on this proposed budget from the president. Thanks again. Thank you, sir. It's an honor. All right, sir. Uh, Listen, next up, we're going to have a fascinating conversation. It could change the nature of voting uh, here in the state of Utah, at least. Representative Mike McKell, he has a piece of legislation, HB 292, which would call upon the lieutenant governor to embark in a study looking at Internet voting. That's ahead here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.